Do you know how to empower yourself financially? Are you teaching your children about money? Listen to today's episode with financial advisor, Carol Parrish, if you want to gain more confidence in handling money and empower your kids with it too. Welcome to the Courage to Be podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Vasayo. And each week, I will bring you amazing guests so that you can tap into the courage to break out of all patterns and live your soul's purpose. Before we get into this episode, if by the end you enjoyed it, please follow, rate, review, and share the podcast so we can reach more people. Because here's the thing, I'm on a mission to close the gender gap in the podcasting world so that more and more women's voices are heard. If you feel that this is something you value too, then please take action by rating, reviewing, following, and sharing the podcast. We can only do this together. Check out the link in the show notes to see how this is done. And make sure to stay until the end to claim some free gifts I have for you. Welcome back to The Courage to Be, where we have powerful conversations on how to transform your life and your business. And today we have Carol Parrish with us. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I've been waiting for this. I know this is going to be a wonderful conversation about women's empowerment, women and money, women and wealth. Tell us a little bit about you, Carol, and why you're so passionate about this subject. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I'm Carol Parrish. I'm a financial advisor in Seattle, and I work primarily with women who are very good at what they do, but then when it comes to money, don't know where to start and just kind of avoid handling money. And I got into this industry because there weren't enough women and we needed more women. I wanted to help more women and I wanted to really empower women to be able to change the world and have an impact on everybody, not just themselves. Were you good with numbers and with money? Like, because I feel like many women, we get intimidated with the numbers. We have been conditioned of like, you know, a man is a financial plan or, you know, that's a, a guy's, at least for my upbringing, but were you good with numbers or what attracted you into the money world? So that's an interesting question. And the way I was raised, my father handled all the money in my household, which was very common when I grew up. So I never really learned about money, but I did love math and I love numbers. I wanted to be a math teacher. I graduated with an accounting degree, which is completely different than being a financial advisor, but I didn't necessarily know that at the time. And then had an opportunity to get into financial services and was fascinated, but realized that a lot of this process is more about relationships and helping people live their dreams and live the way that they want. And then a small part of it is actually handling the numbers and the money and creating systems to even make it easier. That is fascinating because I feel like many times we think that money capital, you know, is like the most important one, but you said something very key right there that it's all about the relationships. And I do believe that relationship capital is such an important foundation 
Let's talk a little bit about that. Like, how did you discover that it was more about the relationships, you know, or not just the money? I wouldn't say there was just a moment, but I realized even before I was an advisor, but working with a lot of actually all men in a financial office that the men would come and talk to me and be vulnerable and open up about challenges and things that they were having. And I realized, especially in talking with women, that that was one reason that a lot of times they didn't talk about money or want to talk about money was because they weren't comfortable talking to anybody about it and not opening up. I had this conversation yesterday with actually a, a woman in England who has a multi six-figure business, but still feel shame around her money. So to get women in particular to start thinking about their money, I think it really requires them to be comfortable opening up and be willing to address it. And when they were oftentimes continuing to get spoken to in a condescending manner or judged or felt embarrassed, then rather than be uncomfortable in that situation, they just don't go that direction. Yeah, I find this fascinating. You know, it's this whole idea, like you're saying about shame and money for women. Why is it important that women do start paying more attention to their money and that more money comes into women's hands? Well, I think there's a few reasons. One in particular, and, and we were talking about this offline beforehand, just that times have changed and women are a lot more independent than they used to be and running their own businesses and running households and not feeling reliant or codependent on a partner. Many women are more divorces are happening these days. And so women are being left to handle the money by themselves. Women statistically live longer than men. So often you know, I have clients whose spouses have passed away and they're now taking on money management when they weren't as involved before. So I think all of those reasons are important, but looking at the bigger picture, women contribute more to their communities than men do. Like for every dollar, women contribute about 70% where men, it's like 20 cents or that stays in their community. Um, yes, that, that's fascinating. I have a quote from the UN, United Nations that says that 95% of women will reinvest their hard earned uh, hard earned money back into the communities compared to 30, only 35% of men. That's pretty astonishing. Pretty staggering. <laughs> yeah. So in general, yeah. I mean, again, it doesn't just affect each woman independently. It has, it affects everybody globally, men and women, when women have more money and are sharing it. Tell us some stories about like you're saying, I think it's so important because we're a little bit unaware of 50% of marriages will end in divorce. So mm -hmm. at some point in your life, if you're a woman, you're going to have to deal with that. If you're in the 50% that got divorced, so you're going to have to figure out financially instead of relying on your partner, 
And then if you're one of the lucky ones that stays married and you do have a partner, 80% of these women will outlive their spouses. So do you have some stories, Carol, that you could share with us of women that suddenly, you know, like inherited their money from their spouses or they became divorced of just how you help them in that journey that maybe could help our listeners, you know, of just like, oh my God, yes, I just got divorced or I, you know, I just lost my spouse. How do, how do um, we navigate that world? So one of my clients who I touched on earlier before, unfortunately lost her husband about a year ago. And he was by far, you know, they discussed money, which is more than what some couples do, but she was never involved in the day-to-day operations or handling of the various accounts and they had multiple properties that were being managed etc so when we started working together there it was twofold we were dealing with her emotions where she was still quite sensitive and dealing with the grief of losing her husband while at the same time trying to become educated on her financial situation, but also some of the tools and systems and things that could help simplify that for her. So, and she was, she's about 70 and we say, you know, we've been able to do a lot on a computer, but we also interact face to face, which is a little less common these days, but because we're two different generations trying to communicate about all of this too. So after going through this with her, it was such a relief. She felt relieved and felt peace of mind knowing that now she had a handle on things, but also has me to help guide her through these new things that are coming up. But I'm also, you know, getting back to the relationships, I understand where she's coming from and can help her process some of that grief too. You know, I, I haven't lost a spouse, but I lost my mom at a young age. And again, it comes in there. I have another client who just recently divorced and she was actually the breadwinner. So she's always been involved in some of the money handling, but still had to work through the dissolving of the marriage and separation of the finances to meet her goals. And so we talked a lot about, well, what's most important to you? Is it making the most money out of this or is it getting the house or helping with your business or, so it's not always just about money. It's about what's important to them. Yeah, this is great. I can only imagine all the different stories that you know, of clients that you have coming in and how you've seen, Mm -hmm. you know, how they deal with money because it's such a taboo subject. Like we don't tend to talk like about, oh yeah, my husband deals with the money or no, I deal with the money or Mm -hmm. I happen to make more money than my husband. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, if you said that she's the breadwinner, do you know the percentages or the numbers of women that are becoming more of the breadwinners nowadays? And how does that affect relationships? I don't, but it definitely can affect 
I mean, it definitely, it does affect relationships. And a lot of it, I do think stems from the way we were raised too, because any, all of our experience are going to help form and shape the beliefs and things that we have around money. And for some who maybe are more narrow minded, they've never thought about maybe their spouse be out earning them. And it could affect, you know, it could be a power struggle for others. You know, they talk about it and are comfortable with it. And so it really, it kind of depends on the, the couple's relationship. I've been fortunate enough that, you know, it's interesting. I've had clients who we ideally want to talk with, if there, if it's a couple, we ideally want both partners to be involved so they know what's going on. But I've had clients where the man is the only one that handles the money and is on the calls. And then I've had other situations where it's just the woman. So, which I do think is becoming more mainstream. I feel like part of my job as an advisor is to try to initiate some of those conversations between spouses and partners so that they are more comfortable talking about it with each other and alleviating some of the stress that comes up in relationships around money too. Yeah, this is interesting. You know, like at what age do you think we should start coming to an advisor? Because if you think about it, there's certain financial advisors or certain firms that won't even take you unless you have like a certain amount of money saved up. So like, how do we go about that? Like, do you recommend kids that are coming out of college to start talking about their future and their money and how they can start saving or no, because we should wait until we've saved up to a certain age, you know, at a certain age, like how, what would be your best advice on that? There's no specific age. It honestly, I feel like it depends on each person's situation. With that being said, there's so many resources available these days that and, you know, high school, I was at a breakfast, my kids started school today, and I was at a breakfast with some of his friends yesterday, and the freshman in high school was going to join the investment club. You know, we didn't have things like that when I was a child. So there's things online where people can learn about their money and, and saving and budgeting and what an IRA is versus a 401k that are very helpful. There's also different types of advisors who do different things. So to your point about some individuals only working with high net worth clients, a lot of them only focus on investments, where there's other people that look at an overall financial picture. And in most cases, those become more complex as you age, not always. But as you, maybe you have children, you have switched jobs with different retirement accounts or stock options, and you may have parents who are aging that you're starting to look at. So that's a vague answer to your question, but it really depends on the situation. Personally, I don't think it's ever too early to start planning. And finding kind of the right fit. We, my business partner and I actually created a document or a guide 
that outlines different kinds of advisors and how they work and what they do to help people select the right type of person for their needs too, that I'd be happy to share with you for the show notes too. Yeah, we could definitely put those in there. I think that's very important because I was just going to ask you about that. You know, like I fear, I feel like there's this fear underneath, especially if like, if you go to a networking event or you meet someone, I mean, have you encountered this? Like, oh, Carol, nice to meet you. What do you do? And you say, I'm a financial advisor. What are people's reaction to that? It depends. And sometimes I say that and sometimes I don't, but even in the financial advising world, that title means different things to different people. For some, they think like you, oh, you just want to invest people's money or you're slimy. I, you know, people kind of think that you just want to take my money too. So typically when I say I'm a financial advisor, I try to explain to them that I help, you know, get your finances organized and create a plan so you can live the life that you truly want and have that peace of mind and not worry about money to help explain it. It's interesting because I think if we carry shame, like you talked about before, that can be hard. Like I've seen, you know, different advisors going up and like, oh yeah, I'm a financial advisor. And people are just like running in the opposite direction. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know, you know, like I would never share, you know, my money because there could be this underlying shame of like, I should have saved more up to, there's all the should, the list of shoulds that could come up. You know, I should have more saved by this point. I should have, I should be making more. I should X, Y, and Z. How do you help people overcome that? The first things I do is let them know there's no judgment at all. I mean, I've been through a lot of stuff with my money too. I had to learn You know, I was just like everybody else. I graduated college and I got my first job and got my first 401k and I had no idea what to do with it. So what did I do? I asked my dad, where should I put this? And, you know, I, was I saving enough early on? No. And once, when I was, did I know where to put it? No. So we all have to start somewhere. And so I give them permission to you know, be comfortable with the decisions that they've made and where they are and let them know that they're not going to be judged. And then we look at what are the things that maybe do make them uncomfortable so that we can identify them and and try to address those. And then a lot of it is just helping to try to simplify things for them and let them realize that really there's only a few skills to learn, to be able to be good with your money. And if you break those down one at a time, just like learning to ride a bike, you know, there's different steps to get there. It's the same thing and you don't have to be perfect at it. It's just continuing to enhance those skills little by little. Yeah. What about women and empowering women with their money? Like, how do you go about that, Carol? Because I wanted to come back to that, you know, besides the shame and the conditioning, you know, that women had had around money. So what do you do to make them feel more confident with their money? Well, I've been in a lot of women's groups where this topic has come up and we often share the fact that women often are uncomfortable having money. 
like they feel a sense of guilt when they do have it. Like business owners, they have, you know, may have a really successful business, but then they feel like they should be giving it, you know, giving it all back. And and that's okay if that's what they want to do. But a lot of it is just saying, look, you worked hard for this. You earned this. You built this. So it's up to you how you want to use this money and share it. You should be proud of the fact that you've made it this far and let them know that, you know, they're capable of anything that they truly want, you know, and use their history as a path, as, excuse me, as a past, use their history as an example. You know, you've done this, this, and this, so why shouldn't you be able to do this too? And control your life the way that you want to. And give it, we talk a lot about, you know, other women. And that's one of the things that I appreciate about some of the communities that I'm a part of with women is that we energize each other and we feed each other and we support each other so much that I think that helps us empower each other more too. Yeah, that's so important. And as you're saying this, that these women might make a ton of money, it almost sounds to me like they want to get rid of it because of this sense of worthiness, you know, like that they maybe don't feel worthy of it. Exactly. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that. And maybe if you've had even cases, you know, or examples or stories of women that have come to you, like maybe whether they inherited it or maybe they make a lot of money and they immediately want to spend it all or haven't been able to save. Let's talk about the worthiness underneath. And if you can give us some examples. Sure. So one of my first clients, she's a realtor who does very well. She's a marketing genius in my mind, but she grew up in a household where money was very scarce and there were a lot of complex pieces to her childhood that even that didn't revolve around money. And she and her husband got married very young. They were high school sweethearts. She worked in a different profession to start. She was a midwife and was very good at that too, but it wasn't a big moneymaker. And all of a sudden, when she became a realtor and was very good at it, all this money started and revenue started coming in which was great. She was married. She has four children. So they obviously are very expensive, but it was totally new to her and she felt guilty. And I think aunt still does feel some of that guilt. She feels less guilty, but feels a responsibility to this day to give back and not always invest in herself too. It's, you know, we've been clients for about three or four years, and it's something that we talk about every time that we're on a call. And it's powerful for me to see that she has those feelings because while she's focused on her family, at the same time, she's using her platform to be able to help raise money for other people too, which again, that's something she's doing to empower these other women that maybe aren't in the same situation. But I don't think 
I still think we're working on her kind of feeling that guilt around having money. Who do you think all of that comes from? I, I think a lot of it is because of the way that she was raised and not feeling like she deserves to have that. I think that's the majority of women. I feel like it's a high percentage, but I feel like that's changing a lot because of a lot of the lead women leaders out there that are educating and teaching and providing community with each other where we're realizing that, you know, not even just with money and other areas too, that we are worthy. Yeah. Let's go into the subject of investing. You said investing in yourself with this uh, client. Why is it so hard for women to invest in themselves? <laughs> Generally speaking, we're caregivers and we take care of everybody else first. You know, I think about it with my children and my husband, you know, especially when they were little, I was so focused on taking care of them that I would be exhausted by the end of the day. And even now, if one kid needs to be taken to practice here or needs something for school here, I am not good at setting boundaries and I'm getting better and but I take care of it. And then whatever's left, whether it's time or energy or resources, then, then I spend it on me. I'm getting better about carving out time for me and finding things that I enjoy and spending time on those or money, if the case may be, because it makes me a better person when I'm around them too, and around my clients and around my friends, but it hasn't been easy. It's just, that's, I feel like that's some of that is our nature too. I so appreciate you, your vulnerability and sharing that, because I think it takes a lot of courage to share, you know, what are those weak points? Cause I'm seeing you and it's a reflection of myself too. I'm also a mom. <laughs> And I wanted to ask you, I'm like, well, what would you consider is an investment in yourself? It could be one of a number of things. One, for some, it could be going to get a massage. I'm not really a massage person, but for people sitting all day on their computers and or athletes and things, it could make them a, a completely different person. I'm actually attending a women's conference next month that may or may not benefit my business. But I know it's going to inspire me. It's going to give me energy. I'm going to be around women who appreciate and value a lot of the same things that I do. I'm going to learn new perspectives. And so I'm spending the money on it to go do it because I know big picture, it's going to benefit me. And what recommendations or tips would you have for our listeners that are women that don't invest in themselves enough and what the payoff can be for them? Well, I would just give them permission to take care of themselves. And thankfully, I do feel like it's becoming more acceptable for women and men to do that because we're realizing what some of the effects are when we don't do that. And if it's hard, to do that, even just taking a baby step. You know, maybe it's 15 minutes in the morning before everyone gets up to just sit alone and have a cup of coffee 
which I know when you have a toddler or a newborn baby or you know, who, a dog that needs to go out, that can be hard to come by. So start small. And then as you start to realize how that feels, then progressively add in more time or new things. And, and whatever those self-care things are, are different for everybody. And you have to decide what helps you. Those are some great tips. And I think it's so important for all of us to reflect on those. And what does that mean The as you're listening to this? What does that investing in yourself mean? And how can you start doing those small steps? Like you're saying, Carol, what are some examples of women that you admire with money? That's a good question. Well, my business partner right now is someone who I have learned a tremendous amount from. So she grew up in, it's the reason she became an advisor because she grew up in a household where her family's divorced and money was always a hot topic. And it was always, there were arguments about it. There was never enough. And she used that to help her build a business and educate not only herself, but she uses that to empower, you know, we keep using the word empower, but she's educating and empowering other women to become what they want to be too. We talked a little bit earlier about Ella Best before this call and, and Sally Krawcheck. She was a big wig on Wall Street years ago and then realized that the industry was, as, as she puts it, built for men by men or built by men for men. And so she set out to start a movement and company for women by women. And 90% of the employees are women. It's a diverse group. And their sole mission is to get more money in the hands of women. And the tools and resources that she has provided and continue to provide are reaching all audiences, not just wealthy women and not just professional women. You know, my high school daughter could go online and start investing $5 a month or a week if she wants to. And they've, she's created tools and systems for that, which is a lot of the things that I do in my practice is to try to help simplify and make it easy for people and accessible too. So, so those would be two of the things, two women that come to mind immediately. There's a lot of women who were pioneers that, you know, before my time, even that, you know, started, you know, the first bank and opened the, took the first business loan out. That was only in the eighties. I mean, I was a kid when that happened. I mean, it's crazy to me to think that my mom couldn't have gone and taken out a business loan when I was a student without a man, my dad going with her or another man. So I know that's pretty crazy. I think it was yeah. 1974 that that law passed where you yeah. didn't have to ask for credit. Yeah. What does money mean to you, Carol? Is it money good? Is money bad? Like what's the meaning you give money? To me, money gives us freedom and it gives us options. In, in the simplest form, that's how I feel about it. It can be, money can be used for good, money can be used for bad. But in the big scheme of things, when we have money, it 
allows us to consider different things, whether it's starting a business, whether it's not working, whether it's funding my grandchild's college, whether it's starting a foundation, whether it's making a donation to blood donation firm. That's, you know, I don't donate money there, but I donate blood. So it gives us the power to and freedom to live the way that we want to live. And it gives us control too. And do you feel like you always believe that or did you acquire that through time? Like what were your own money limiting beliefs? It definitely has changed over time as I've continued to learn more about money and look back at my childhood and college days and things too. Where before, like when I was younger, I wouldn't necessarily even think about it as much. I was raised in a household where we weren't wealthy, but I was fortunate enough to, I never worried about there being enough money. Now, as an adult with kids, I want to be able to teach them about different things so that they know more than I did when I grew up and realize that I feel like they feel like I did when I was a kid, that they're in an okay position. And I want, I actually want them to think about it more and realize that not everybody has some of the freedoms and things that we have, especially in other parts of the world and not take it for granted too. Was there a pivotal moment in your life that you changed the meaning of money or, you know, like in those college years that you're like, oh, I need to pay attention to this or like, well, what was I that think moment more for when you? I got out of college and was on my own where, you know, I say to my kids a lot when they want to us to buy something for them, you know, how do you want it enough? Do you want that item enough that you would use your own money for it? Or how important is it to you? So they're evaluating that. And then they realize that some of the things they thought were important aren't as important and paying certain bills and saving. You know, when I first became on my own, I had to be able to pay my rent. I wanted to still at least save some money. I wanted to have a little fun money but I was on my own and I wasn't making very much. So that's when I quickly realized that, yeah, it just doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> Even though my parents tried to tell me that we don't want to hear it from our parents. Yeah. <laughs> and what about kids and uh, money? You know, you have your own kids. I have my daughter too. And how are you educating? I mean, they're the future. You want to empower them too. So that when they become adults, they have a good relationship with money. What kind of tips can you give us or what are you putting in place with your kids? Because I feel like this is such a needed topic in school. Like we don't teach about money. We don't teach about finances to kids. If you're lucky that your parents can teach you, you know, how to write a check or I mean, because nowadays no one really uses checks. So they're PayPal and Venmo, but just even investment, you know, like I wish my parents, my dad would have sat me down back in the day and taught me about investment. Like I had to learn out the hard way. So what are you teaching your kids and what are some tips that you can leave our listeners with? Well, I'll use my daughter as an example. She is in high school now and 
we asked her slash told her she was going to get a job and she found one that she absolutely loves and without even having to tell her I, I helped her set up direct deposit so that her money can go directly into the bank account but she oh. already knew that she needed to automatically put some of that away into savings and some of that I think is because of conversations that we had but she had a course on personal finance in school which one course isn't going to teach her everything but we didn't have anything even close to that when I was in school so that's already progress and I think that type of education is expanding and growing we also you know a lot of families will do an allowance just to teach their kids about saving and oftentimes they'll have three different jars where one is save one is give and one is spend and it teaches kids some of those three basic habits to start early on as well my kids often when they see something at the store or text me about something they found I ask them how much it was just because, or how much it is, just because I want them to start thinking about that too. And they oftentimes get, I don't know, I don't look at that. <laughs> like, well, that might be something that you want to start looking at because when you have limited funds to spend, you need to know what you're going to be able to cut. So it's kind of the beginning of budgeting too. And I don't want them to have to think about how much everything costs but I want them to have an understanding that there is a price for everything too. I think that's great. What are your thoughts? You just mentioned the allowance between giving a child an allowance and giving them money or having them have to earn it. I think people have two, I've know people that have two completely different viewpoints on that. And it, I think it can be successful both ways. One, if it's just a tool to learn how to use the money or have the money, I think that can benefit children as well. I also see the value in them learning how to earn something too. I have friends who feel like their children should be contributing to the running the household anyway, so they shouldn't necessarily need to get paid for that. So everybody's got different views on it. In the big scheme of things, I think either way works depending on how kind of your household works. Just teaching them how to use it and having open dialogue about money, I think is one of you know, the best places to start. And you know, it could be worth having a conversation with your child. You know, how do do you think you should get paid for this? Or you know, at least it's a way to start talking about money. I have noticed that my daughter is very interested in learning about things. Like she asks about how much did our house cost? How much is our house worth? How much do we make? How much, you know, does, you know, we've talked a lot about car insurance now that she's a driver and we make her pay a portion of that just so that she has some skin in the game but she's starting to get an idea of what those expenses are. What's interesting, it's, my husband is much more private and it doesn't want to be as open about those things. So I have conversations about that too. 
That's yeah, it's so fascinating page. because I agree. You've touched on a topic that I think is so important. I mean, up to now, it's been so taboo, you know, like, I mean, you never, and at least I don't know if it's the upbringing in Spain, mm -hmm. you would never ask your parents or anyone else. And the few times that I might have asked, how much money do you make dad? Like, I think to this day, I have a rough idea, but I don't know, like, what was his maximum I never salary knew or anything. And so I think personally, it's good that you're talking to her. If they're of an age where they are ready to, they have that curiosity, they want to learn. And I, you said your daughter's 17. Yes. Yeah, 17. I have a 10 year old asking me these questions. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do? You know, like, do you keep that private or are we in this place of breaking those taboos of saying, let's normalize this more because if we are for women being empowered with money, we have to start at a place where we can talk, where we can have these kind of conversations. Mm -hmm. you know, like, yes, this costs this amount. Yes, we make this amount. Like, so that there's an understanding and there's not this abstract idea of what things cost or this naiveness to, you know, mm -hmm. like what things cost how we've worked it, maybe we've done it right. Maybe we haven't, you know, like we're mm -hmm. also learning throughout the process. So I think that's great that you're first, that your daughter has that curiosity. And second, that you're talking to her about it and that you're also including her in some of these things. I think it's so important, you know, with my daughter last year, she wanted to go on a school field trip. I don't know if this was right or wrong, but it was 500 bucks. And the money's not sitting around. And it was this passion that she wanted to go. She wanted to go. It was for fifth and sixth graders. And she was only in fourth. And I said, you know what? You're going to have to earn it and pay half of it or, you know, at least half of it. Mm -hmm. Initially, we started with like pay for the full thing. And I have to say, I'll give credit to my dad. You know, when I turned 18, he sat me down and he said, I'm not paying for anything else now except for education you know, I'll help with college. If you need help because you're wanting to go on a trip somewhere, or there's an article of clothing or something, you can bring it up to me and we can have a discussion and maybe I can help you pay, you know, your mom and I will help you pay for it. And I am so grateful that he mm -hmm. did that to us, you know, and I say he, because he was the one running the finances, but it was my, mm -hmm. both of my parents in this. So I think it's great that you're including your daughter in it. Again, I don't know if it's right or wrong that I got I my daughter back. I think there is a right or wrong. I think it's what's right for you yeah. and what's right for your family. And it, it gave her a sense of, you know, like, well, how can I make that money? That's where I always put it back on her and ask her the question. Like, if you want that first, do you want that that bad? And if you do, how can you generate the money? Because that creates creativity you know, and resourcefulness, because mm -hmm. that's what you want to leave your children with when they grow up, right? You know, like when they become adults, not just like, oh, hand it down to me because I'm entitled because my parents have been giving it to me all my mm -hmm. life. Oh, the sense of entitlement is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> oh yeah. Tell us a little bit about it. Any clients or any other? No children This in this day and age, at least in my community. So I do feel like I'm trying to balance that sense of entitlement with them earning things too. 
and it's a challenge. It's challenging when everybody's, especially kids, and they see it from adults, they're trying to keep up with the Joneses and think, oh, well, they've got this iPhone 15, so I should have an iPhone 15 or whatever it is. And again, that is a whole nother conversation that we have to tackle that with our kids. To tie it all back in, I keep seeing the caption on your screen and the title of the podcast, The Courage to Be. To me, that's what all of this is about, is like the courage for us to not be afraid to talk about money and the courage to be happy and take care of ourselves and the courage to talk about money and not be afraid. That's what it all comes down to. Thank you, Carol. Well, as we're wrapping up with this, where can people find you? The easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn and it's just Carol Parrish, C-A-R-O-L-P-A-R-R-I-S-H. And I have a weekly newsletter that I send out that people can sign up for there and just tidbits of information. Perfect. Thank you so much. And thank you. One last question. What would be some advice for our listeners to live a life with more courage? I guess my biggest takeaway would be to, and we talked about this some, is just to realize that you're worthy. And we're all worthy of greatness and things that we want. Like we can do it and we're worthy. So don't be afraid. Love it. That was great. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for, for being having with me. Us. Thank you, Carol, for being with us today. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure talking with you. I am so grateful that you joined me today. If you enjoyed it, there's one thing I'd like you to do. Click on the follow button so you don't miss a single episode. Leave me a rating and a review and please share. As my way to thank you, email us a screen grab of your review at the email in the show notes, and we will send you a free Crafting Your Future guided visualization, which is so simple to do with outstanding results. It will empower you and give you the confidence to attract and create the life you've always desired. See you in our next episode.